Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. you do sin, if anyone does sin, we do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. That's the full, complete payment and satisfaction of anything and everything that was required of the one that we have gone against, the one that we have sinned against. He is the full propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Sin, yes, it's always present before us, it's present around us. But do we have to walk in sin? No. Today, Pastor David discusses sin in the lives of those who follow Jesus. We know that this world is imperfect, and because of its imperfection, sin will always exist and will always cause us temptation. It may be gossiping, lying, drinking to excess, cheating, sexual impurity, gambling, or any number of things for you personally. But whatever it may be, Pastor David wants you to know that as long as you're drawing breath, you can always turn from that sin, and you can always turn back to Christ. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Matthew chapter 5 as he begins his message, Getting Serious About Our Commitment. You know, when you look around the world today, it's very easy. I mean, it it is so easy to look and see in this world those that are not believers, those that are definitely not believers. Now, I'm not talking about a believer that's kind of walking in the flesh. I'm talking about those that, man, they're just living wickedly. They just don't, they don't care about the things of God. They don't care about the things of his word. They're just living again in the world for all that they can get out of it. Easy to pick them out. Practicing, again, godless lifestyles and all of those kind of things to me. The thing that really amazes me, though, is when the world is shocked by some of the actions of the world. Uh, when those that are in the world that, again, are not believers, they say, wow, I can't believe that that's going on. I've had the honor and the privilege and sometimes kind of the, uh, the tough time of being a part of the grand jury, uh, Pinal County Grand Jury. I've got a couple of more uh, times of doing it. But it's amazing to me the cases that are brought in and people that are non-believers. Uh, you can tell just by the interaction, the conversations that go on during the day. They're, they're not believers. But then they get shocked at, at what some people are doing. And I'm sitting there and saying, you know, I'm not shocked. I'm just not shocked. Uh, it's hard for me, I guess, to be shocked anymore because you look at, number one, I don't expect goats to act like sheep. Okay, uh, If they don't know the Lord, then I don't expect them to act like they know the Lord. And yet the thing that is really weird is, why would the world be shocked by what the world is doing? I guess my question to them is, you know, what is your measure of standards? You know, where, where do you judge what's right and what's wrong on any given case? Is it, again, you know, that situation ethics? 
that, well, in this particular situation, uh, my need happens to be more than your need, so what you have, I'm going to take. Other times it's a relativism. Well, there's nothing absolute in the world anyway, so we can just kind of go whatever way you want to go. But for someone who really wants to please God in their life, they, they, they want to live a life to, to honor him, the standard is very clear. There's absolutely, I mean, we could take our Bibles, and hopefully you brought your Bibles, we're going to be in there in just a moment, but we could take your Bibles and we could turn all the way back to the, the, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, and we could look at, again, some of the, the things that God has wrote about his standard. I mean, we could go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through there, and we could see the righteous standard that God has given us. Leviticus 19, for, for one, you don't need to turn there, I'll tell you what it is, but in Leviticus 19, verse 2, it says, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Well, that's a pretty high standard. And some of you might say, well, you know, I'm really not of the Old Testament. I'm just kind of a a New Testament kind of a guy. And I say, okay, well, I totally understand. I don't agree that you can actually be that way, but let's go over to the New Testament. And I take you to 1 Peter chapter 1, and Peter says down in verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Funny, God's standard doesn't change, does it? God remains the same yesterday, today, forever. So his standard, let's, let's face it, guys, his standard's pretty high. And ain't none of us going to be able to meet, meet it. We're not going to be able to match that standard. As a matter of fact, you know, some of us, you know, we might say, oh, pastor, I, I, I'm doing pretty good in, in, in my walk in the Lord. After all, you know, I, I, I haven't stolen anything for a long time. Uh, I've, I've never murdered anyone, and I haven't cheated on my spouse. And yet, before I give you a big attaboy or girl for, again, trying to do the best you can with your flesh, uh, I would take you over to Matthew chapter 5. Oh, by the way, for you New Testament guys, that is in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, it's not just one of the disciples that are writing this. It's not just one of the guys that are talking. No, this is Jesus himself. And Jesus himself says, you have heard that it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Ah, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be what? In danger of the judgment. So even thinking in the anger, danger for the judgment. Oh, but he goes on. He goes on to say, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, which is a, an Aramaic word meaning empty-headed or, or senseless, or we might say stupid today. Uh, they shall be in danger of the council. And he's saying you're being brought to the Sanhedrin, the, the council, the court of the Jews. But then Jesus goes on to say, but whoever says you fool, and that has kind of the meaning of, uh, again, the, the highest guilt as an idolater or, or the guilty of the, the most disgraceful, most heinous of crimes. And again, you can look back in the Old Testament and they, they speak about those things. Uh, Jesus says, if you call somebody that fool that they're that way, well, you yourself are in danger of hellfire. That's a, that's a pretty major statement there. 
Jesus goes on to say, oh, you've heard it said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman, and guys, can I be politically correct here? Woman or man, okay, let's just balance the whole thing out. Whoever looks at a woman or a man to lust for her or him has already committed adultery with her or him in his heart? No, we wouldn't do that. Suddenly, a couple of you got really nervous. I saw that. And here's one who's going to touch home to a lot of you. Jesus, furthermore, it's been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, I don't think that we need to wonder too much about the standard, what God's standard is. Jesus is very clear. The word of God is clear. The standard is clear. And the standard is holiness and, yes, the big P word, perfection. Because isn't that really what holiness is? Perfection. Um, and, and, and that's both in thought as well as in deed. With full obedience to those things that have been declared, yes, by the law and by Jesus himself. That's where the standard is. We know the standards is there. And yet we also know that we walk around with these sin-prone carcasses called our natural body. And in the natural man, we're not only prone to sin, but in that natural man, we are helpless against sin in the natural man. Paul himself tells us in Romans chapter 8. As a matter of fact, I'm going to have you run over there real quick. We'll eventually get to 1 John chapter 3. But in Romans chapter 8, and I know that this is probably very familiar territory to many of you, but I just want you to see it one more time. Romans 8, down in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds, what gang? On the things of the flesh. Verse 6 tells us, for to be carnally minded is just a stumbling. No, that's not what it says, is it? What does it say? For to be carnally minded is what, church? Death. Look what verse 7 says. The carnal mind is enmity. It's at war against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. The carnal mind cannot be at peace with God or subject to the law of God. Verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so now we are in a study right now in 1 John, and we're in chapter 3. Let me remind you here that who is John speaking to? He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to men and women who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ. But this is what John says to those believers, even if we backed up to chapter 1, and we've already covered that, but I I just want to touch it one more time. Back in chapter 1, What did John tell us in verse 8? If we say that we have no sin, and he's speaking to believers, he's speaking to those who say that they're walking in Christ. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, 
What does it say? We make him, we make God out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. And we move right into chapter 2. And it says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Yes, you sin, and yes, you have sinned, but I don't want you to sin. God doesn't want you to sin. If you do sin, if anyone does sin, we do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That's the full, complete payment and satisfaction of anything and everything that was required of the one that we have gone against, the one that we have sinned against. He is the full propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Sin, yes, it's always present before us, it's present around us. But do we have to walk in sin? No. Because again, the word tells us that the power of sin and death have been defeated at the cross and through the resurrection. We do not have to walk in sin. John gives us the hope that even if we do sin, we still have that advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, that one who is the propitiation, that complete, that absolute satisfaction for any wrongs that were done. But if we do sin, when we do sin, let me put it that way, when we do sin, we don't have to abide or stay in that sin. Guys, the, the, the ones that are outside of Christ, the world, away from Christ, they are controlled by sin. They are controlled by Satan. And I might say, oh no, I don't do any devil worship, not me. It doesn't matter. If you are not in Christ, then you are being controlled by Satan. And they have no freedom other than the reality of sin. It says, oh, but my dear Aunt Agatha, she's just the sweetest person. And I, I would probably agree with you if I met your aunt, that she's just absolutely sweet person. But yet, she's still a sinner, and she still needs the salvation of Christ. She might not be as great a sinner as some of those that we've seen in the courts, but beloved, she's still a sinner and still needs Jesus. Now, again, John is telling us pretty much that uh, we, we don't need to stay in sin if we sin and confess it, move on. Confess it, repent of it, and move on. He's telling us here now in 1 John down in chapter 3, prior to where we're at now, the end of chapter 2, and uh, here he was talking about, again, the, this whole idea of Antichrist and this false teaching that was coming in. He was warning the church that they need to be careful not to be drawn uh, away by the lives of the multitude of Antichrists, the false teachers that have come. Don't be deceived with those guys. And then at the end of chapter 2, as he begins chapter 3, he gives the church some great words of blessing and encouragement. Look what he says, the end of chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, what does he say? Abide. Abide in him. That means stay connected with Jesus. That means don't let the world cause you to walk away from that connection, from walking again in full fellowship with him, walking in full obedience to him, walking in absolute surrender to him. That's how we abide in Jesus. Abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. 
Have you ever caught any of your little ones doing something wrong, they knew it was wrong, and then you walked into the room? Okay, now, we don't want to be that one when Jesus comes back, okay? He comes back, and we've st- we got cookie crumbs all over us, and you know, our hand is still halfway in the jar. And he says, I told you not to live that way. I told you not to make those choices. Now, does that say well, we're not his? No. But I think what John is saying, man, you don't want to be ashamed when Jesus comes again. You want to be living your life for his glory. Parents, how about it when the kids come in and you walk into their room to catch them in something, and they're over there cleaning up their room. You know, well, I'll be back again. I'll catch you in something. No, no, it would blow you away, wouldn't it? You'd wonder, are they sick or whatever it is. But when Jesus comes, that he would find us faithful, find us busy about our Father's work. Verse 29 says, if you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, Understand in the context of the gospel, in the context even of what John writes here, it doesn't mean that if Aunt Agatha goes and does a good deed, that suddenly now she's a Christian. No, we don't become believers that way. We don't become part of God's household that way. That's not what John is saying. What he is saying, in essence, is, again, if we are born of him, we will practice righteousness. That is, that's the very DNA of who we should be. If we are born again by the Spirit of God, then our spirit ought to be leading us to practice acts of righteousness. Now he moves on into chapter 3, and I know that we covered this couple of weeks ago, but I just want to, again, kind of lay the foundation. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. I mean, that ought to blow us away, that we should be called children of God. The one who knows us best, the one who has known us even before we were created and formed in our mother's womb, the one who knows what we did, you know, five years ago at that, you know, that, you know, that situation. Yeah, he knows that. He knows all about that. And yet, he says that you are my child. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, what does it say there? We shall be like him. Not that we're going to become uh, uh, little gods. No, that's a, that's a Mormon doctrine. That, that, no, not that. No, again, man, we're going to be able to shed this carcass of, of wickedness. We're going to be able to shed completely this nature of sin. When we are with him, then no longer do we have our sin nature. We shall be like him, and we're going to be able to see him as he is. And then John tells us in verse 3, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. What's he saying there? If I have that hope that Jesus is coming soon, soon and very soon, if I really believe that, and if I really understand the greatness of his love, and if I keep, again, my mind set on those things, the greatness of his love for me, that he's coming again very soon. Mom and dad's going to open that door really quick. I want to be doing the right thing when they come in. I don't want to be messing up. That's what John says. When, again, Jesus comes again, will he find you messing up or will he find you obedient to him? 
Now everybody's feeling all warm and fuzzy and good, and John moves on then into verse 4. And here's where it gets tough. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. I don't know about you, but when on the surface I look at that and I say, man, that's some difficult stuff. Let me go on and then we'll come back at this. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. But he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Oh my goodness. We look at that and we wonder, man, how in the world can I ever live up to that? At first glance, it would appear absolutely hopeless. But first, let's get a better look, actually, of what John is saying and what John is not saying. And so I pull from some of those that, again, are much better in the languages, much better in, again, uh, the depth of the study. One of those guys is a, a commentator by the name of Albert Barnes to kind of pull some of these words, the backgrounds, the Greeks, and the understanding of these words. Albert Barnes states this, he who is born again does not sin habitually. He's not a habitual sinner. So I don't know, I, I keep sinning, I keep doing, but are you all the time, are you walking, are you living in sin continually? That's what he's speaking about. Barnes goes on. A true believer, if he's born again, if he does wrong, that's when he is overtaken by temptation. And the act is against the actual habitual inclination and the purpose of his soul. If I am born again because the Spirit of God abides in me, then Paul tells us in Romans 8, living in the Spirit, we walk in the Spirit. If I'm born again and the Spirit of God abides in me, then that Spirit of God abiding in me, then he's going to urge me to walk in obedience. And when temptation comes, and I start playing with that temptation, and just as James tells us, man, starts out as a temptation, man, and then it goes to sin, then it brings death. Again, we start playing with these things then even as a born-again believer, I'm going to get myself into sin. Well, what do I do about that at that point in time? Barnes says that if man sins habitually, if he's just continually walking in sin and it's not bothering him, there's no grief in his spirit, there's no heart of repentance, then Barnes says, and I have to agree with him in accordance with God's word, that most likely that individual, that man or that woman, has never been renewed, has never truly been born again. Would you like to listen again to today's message? 
You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David in The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss the latest edition of the program. Right now, let's check back in with Pastor David for an invitation. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. And as you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and the love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. The teachings you've been listening to here were originally messages I shared with the congregation at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Do you happen to live in this area? If so, please come join me this weekend for a time of worship, prayer, reading the Bible, and just getting to know one another through fellowship. You'd be able to find all the information you need, the service times and directions too, at our website, theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel Casa Grande link at the bottom of the page. See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close to ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word as well. Would you pray for us? We know the enemy isn't happy about the truth of the gospel being spread, and he's going to do all he can to stop us. Please pray for all of us here that we'd keep our eyes only on Jesus all the time. Would you also join us in praying for the listeners of The Open Word? Pray that hearts would be open to the gospel and that lives would change. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Make us more.